Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the attraction of tackling hills on two wheels. Oh, another jump. Does it seem to you like you're seeing more and more people riding mountain bikes? Well, you are. Bike companies say the sale of off-road bikes has overtaken all other types in the New Zealand market and business is booming. As his insight found out, hills around urban centres are becoming increasingly carved up as more and more people hit the trails. But that's also causing conflict in some areas. Oh, yeah. This is the epitome right here. This is the highest benchmark in this competitive form. Frankfurt's Rotorua slope style. Mountain biking has come a long way in the past 40 years, from the steel-framed rigid bikes being skidded around in California's Marin County to today's high-performance carbon-fibre trail bikes. It's a sport that spent most of its years on the fringe like an awkward teenager, but in the past five to ten years it's been blasted into the mainstream, and New Zealand off-road riding has boomed, leaving its road biking cousin in the dust. In the past, mountain biking was the domain of backcountry adventurers. Now the range of riders is vast. From kids barely off their trainer wheels to retirees, people from all walks of life are hitting the trails. I'm Chris Bramwell and this insight investigates what's driving the current boom in mountain biking and what the economic spin-offs are. My road bike today, the weather is good. Over the weekend I went bike packing. Simon Kennett has been mountain biking since 1985. He and his two brothers, Paul and Jonathan, are synonymous with the sport. They started the famous Karapoti race in 1986 and have published numerous meticulously researched guidebooks on New Zealand's trails. Simon Kennett says while mountain biking got started in the 1970s in California, it didn't kick off in New Zealand until import restrictions were lifted in the 1980s. He says it was a fledgling sport for a while, but started to grow exponentially in the 1990s. Once people started to get a better feel for where you could and couldn't ride, the next logical step was to develop tracks. So track development really kicked off in the late 90s. And curiously enough, that coincided with a bit of a lull or a bit of a plateau in racing. So mountain bike racing had been huge right up through to sort of about 97 when we had the first World Cup race in, in Wellington here. And the Karapoti Classic was booming and hitting a 1,000 riders every year. And there were more and more events. But it seemed like road riding was starting to take off about that time. And events like around Taupo Cycle Challenge um, were getting over 10,000 riders. And, and mountain bikers who had been in the sport for a decade were, were starting to look for something a little bit different. Hey, Dante. Revolution Bicycle sits on an unassuming corner in the Wellington suburb of Ngaior. The owner, Jonty Ritchie, has been riding bikes for more than 30 years and raced at the inaugural UCI World Mountain Bike Champs in Colorado in 1990. As he works on a bike, he tells me it was a far more casual scene than what you'd get at a World Cup race these days. Once upon a time, people would do more. You know, they would race downhill, cross-country, uphill... There was observed trails and there was slalom and I did every <laughs> every discipline and that was all on the same bike and I thought may as well you go all that way, may as well do everything, plus it's just fun, more fun to do it all. Was that on the Fisher? 
No, I was sponsored by Giant back then, so it was on a steel hardtail with the rigid fork and then we got a RockShox fork, I think I got one the night before the downhill, fitted to the bike by Paul Turner, I think his name was, the RockShox guy, the founder, so that was pretty exciting. But the bike weighed something like 32 pounds, which is heavier than a modern trail bike. So, what is a mountain bike trail? Well, in the past it was anything that was off-road, and to some degree that definition's still correct. But there's been a proliferation of trails built specifically to mountain bike on, graded for a smooth, steady uphill ride, and shaped corners on the run back down to keep riders flowing and smiling as they roll down the trail. While it's not mandatory, it's advisable to hit those trails on a mountain bike that has wider knobbly tyres and decent brakes. And the range of bikes available now can be bewildering if you're new to the sport or returning after a bit of a break. It's a wet Sunday morning in Rotorua, but about 500 mountain bikers are milling around in their riding gear, waiting for the start of the first race of the Winter Series. There are children as young as five fixing race plates to their bikes, alongside serious semi-professional riders warming up for a long ride in the mud. The race organiser Tim Farmer says the Winter Series started back in 2002 and he took it over three years ago. He says back then they were getting 180 people a race, but that's now tripled. He thinks the mountain biking boom is partly due to the roads becoming less attractive to ride on. Definitely there is a shift. The roads are getting more and more congested, so um, the forests aren't necessarily um, congested with vehicles as such. So um, as much as there's trees out there, there's no cars that are going to injure you as such. So congestion on the roads is definitely leading to that. And there's mountain bike trails everywhere now. Little pump tracks at schools, kindergartens. I just think it's such a good sport with family as well. Take a family road stock, it'll be pretty scary. So, The two big bike companies, Giant and Specialised, report a massive growth in off-road bike sales in the New Zealand market over the past five years, while road bike sales have flatlined or dropped away. Both companies say off-road bike sales make up more than 60% of their sales now, whereas in the past they constituted about 35%. Back in the early days of mountain biking, riders were a backcountry lot, riding forestry roads and bashing around in the bush trying to find elusive single track. Rides often involved hours of carrying your bike and wading through a reasonable amount of mud. Riders still do those missions, but the vast majority of bikers now prefer the purpose-built trails. While it's still fun, cheap and accessible for anyone with a bike to get away from the roads and try a few jumps, there are more and more wealthy people with a corporate background taking up the sport. Specialised New Zealand says it's seen good growth in a number of women taking up the sport, but the big increase has been men in the 30 to 55 age range. And on the whole, what does that demographic have plenty of? We've got six frames on the wall here, ranging from... Two and a half thousand through to about five thousand. For us, the majority of the time, we, you know, we sell them as a complete bike. So people come in often and they look at the wall and they they're interested in knowing what the prices are. We don't have any price tags on them because it's a it's a whole process with what we do. You know, frame up, build, 
no compromise, get exactly what you want. James Duncan owns Dirt Merchants, a boutique bike store in Wellington's Aro Valley. No longer do bike shops have to sell a whole range to survive. This shop focuses only on high-end bikes, specialising in custom builds, which, when fully constructed, will set you back between five and $15,000. He says their approach means they don't have to shift lots of product out the door to stay afloat. I definitely think we've sort of come along at the right time and we've just grown... You know, we started out, like, the focus was to do really good quality servicing for enthusiasts. We accept any bike in for servicing, but, yeah, definitely the focus was quality bikes and meeting the needs of people who are competing a lot of the time. But, yeah, the market has definitely changed, and these bikes are in greater demand. There's definitely a lot more nice bikes out there on the trail. Ashley Peters is the founder of Wellington Off-Road Riding Department, or WORD, which is a non-profit youth mountain bike programme. She says in the four years she's been running WORD, there's been a massive increase in the number of young people taking part, but also their parents taking up the sport at the same time. Ashley Peters is also the director of Joyride, which runs clinics for new and experienced riders. So, of course, we've got um, men and women that, that are just starting out riding. They've bought their bike or their partner or friend has bought a bike for them and, and they want to learn how to mountain bike so they can keep up you know, with their friends. But we're also seeing a huge increase of people that, that have been riding for 10, 20 years and want to learn some new things, either new things or just brush up on those skills so they can have more fun but also be riding safely. And uh, that way, less injuries and and more fun. (laughs) And what kinds of age groups are you getting through with the skills clinic? Again, huge range. Probably, yeah, anything from 30 up to about 65 years old. Ashley Peters says there's no doubt that mountain biking is booming in New Zealand for a whole number of reasons. You know, I'd love to say it's because we have programs like Word that are running kids' programs, but, um, but also I think we've got these amazing trails that are around and we've got amazing events in the country and, and, and also having the huge support of the New Zealand Cycle Trail. So it's, I think it's coming from a various avenues as to why people are getting into the activity. It's not just the bikes that have changed in recent years. In the 1990s, mountain biking meant riding forestry tracks or seeking out short pieces of single track, but a proliferation of purpose-built tracks has helped fuel the boom. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Only from down the bottom. I didn't walk from town. Hey. Jeff Carter is the director of South Star Trails and his 30-acre property is on the outskirts of Rotorua. There are bike tracks rolling down the hill like spaghetti on either side of the long driveway climbing up to his family home, which is just what you'd expect from the owner of a trail building company. I got my first bike when I was 14. I was living in Kiki near Tiamudu. And I was playing rugby at the time in the second 15 and I'd ride to practice and then go riding up on Mount Prongia. There was a group of us in Te Amuru that formed the Te Amuru Mountain Bike Club and we built trails up on Mount Prongia. A mechanical engineer by trade, Jeff Carter moved to Rotorua in 2004 and quickly got involved with the local mountain bike club. What I really wanted to do was connect up all of those um, little outback tracks into loop, big loops so that you could go out and do a two or three hour ride and you had options so that you could do four or five of those different rides. So essentially we wanted to have a week's worth of riding in Rotorua so that if you're a visitor coming here or you're a local living here, there was enough things to do to keep you excited. He started applying to the local pokey trust to get money to build trails, but there were no professional trail builders, so they had to get contractors in. 
His friend James Dodds, or Dodsey, worked alongside the contractors to build the first trail, and during the digger driver's breaks, he would jump on the digger and quickly learned how to operate the machine. So the next time we had a, another contract, he managed to put in a bid and become the digger driver and so we, we then moved from someone that wasn't a mountain biker on the digger to someone that was a mountain biker mm-hmm. and that was really critical because all of a sudden you have someone that's, that can imagine riding the trail and, and so you get a much better trail out of it. Dodsey met a guy in the forest who'd purchased some land in Chile who asked him to bring a crew over to build trails. At that point, the two men started up NZ Trail Solutions on the back of that first contract, and they ended up building trails for the same person all over the world. We did a property in Australia, we were in uh, Portugal, Jamaica, Mexico, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. So we built some amazing trails and we, we built up this massive crew of guys. I think over the course of those four years we had four or five hundred guys that we sent on short-term contracts overseas. That built up the trail building culture in New Zealand. So now all those, a lot of those guys are involved with trail building projects, either as volunteers or as commercial contractors around New Zealand, which is really cool to see. Not only are trails being built by organised companies, there are hundreds of clubs, groups and individuals around the country picking up a grubber and carving out berms and hucks. Trail Fund provides funding and support for volunteer trail builders and along with advocacy work, it's also keen to build up the skills of trail builders. Its chairperson, Russell Garlick, says as mountain biking has boomed in recent years, so too has the number of people wanting to build trails. So that's where the risk for quality goes down and it's also, you know, starts becoming a bit of a health and safety issue. So people running around with mattocks and that kind of thing. So really what we're trying to achieve is just try and keep those standards up because it just makes it better for the whole community. Russell Garlick says it's important trails are sustainable and well built, but the training trail fund offers is not just about digging dirt. We always advocate for a strong relationship with your land manager and in terms of some of the training that we offer at the what we call the trail boss level, it is all about how to work in with land managers and package things so that that you can have an open dialogue. The practice of pirate trail building, certainly on public land, pirate trail building just puts the rest of us back a long way. Russell Garlick says there's a bit of a disconnect and almost a sense of disbelief from non-riders about what expert mountain bikers can and want to actually ride nowadays but he thinks the biggest change in mountain biking in recent years has been gear-driven. Just like back in the, the late 90s with skiing, where skis went from being long and skinny to short and fat with lots of shape, and overnight everybody became an expert skier. Same with mountain biking now with fo- lots of full suspension bikes, you know, wider, grippier tyres, the angles of the bikes, dropper posts. You, know, you have people who have only been mountain biking for a year or so, who are already riding advanced trails. What is going on, mountain bike fans? Welcome to Rotorua, New Zealand, stop number one of the Crankworks World Tour. Rotorua, are you ready, people? Frank Works is a world-famous week-long festival of mountain biking, which made its New Zealand debut in 2015. The event includes a range of disciplines from slopestyle, downhill and huge jumps to kids' events and a mountain biker's ball. She 
Green is flying at the moment. Coming across 322-10. First place for Rachel Atherton. The story behind Rotorua getting to host such a prestigious event is one of hard work, but also a stroke of luck. Hey, I'm Chris. How's it going? Let's meet you, Tuck. Do you want to come on down the end? Yeah, that'd be cool. Tuck Mutu has been involved with mountain biking in Rotorua for years. Through persistent lobbying, he managed to convince the Skyline Company, which runs the gondola operation at Mount Ngongotaha, to expand its operation into mountain biking a few years ago. They secured money from central government, which allowed the project to go ahead, and the park opened in 2014. Once the bike park was in place, they put in a bid for a World Cup race, but then a bit of timely eavesdropping changed all that. A friend of a friend who was living in Australia overheard a conversation that Crankworks, which is the world's biggest mountain bike festival, was looking at going to Australia. And when he heard that conversation sitting in a cafe that was happening behind him, he, uh, he called uh, my friend who was the um, uh, GM of Ridges Hotel here in Rotorua, he's now the GM of Ridges Auckland, um, and said, James, I think Crankworks is looking at going to Australia. You've got to get it to Rotorua. That's where it's got to be. And so James cold called the general manager of the Crankworks World Tour and said, I heard you're interested in Australia. Would you be interested in, in hosting in Rotorua? And the GM said, sure, where's that? Uh, I had to talk to the GM and he said, well, if you want it in Rotorua, I have to see it. So I pulled out my credit card. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think I ever told my girlfriend, I put up my personal credit card. <laughs> and uh, I paid for that ticket and he... Um, uh, within a week he was flying over here and within 24 hours of being here he said this is the new home of Crankworks, this town is perfect. The government got behind the event initially pledging $420,000 and when the event was secured for 10 years it threw in another $1.7 over five years. Takmutu says Crankworks provides a big economic boost for the city. We are just waiting for our final report for the 2017 event, but in 2016, uh, in five days, we roughly generated, I think it was around about $8.1 million into the local economy. So that's just for the event time as well. That's not including the, I mean, uh, normal tourists here in New Zealand, they stay, I think it's like on average seven days or something like that. And for Crankworks, our average international tourist is staying something like 40 days. You know, so it doesn't include those sort of measures as well, but you know, if you did, then that figure would skyrocket. The general manager of Skyline Rotorua, Bruce Thomason, says Crankworks has other spin-off benefits. Crankworks, the festival, uh, in terms of international exposure, we can't do that on any other method. And, you know, we had one of the slope-style uh, superheroes ride our luge with some of his friends, posted that on YouTube, and it's had over 50 million views. So there's all of that spin-off benefit. So not only is the Crankworks Festival the money earned or generated during those you know, five days, it's actually the, the other 359 days that Crankworks actually assisted us in growing and getting a name and um, understanding that uh, you want to come to the destination. Tuck Mutu says because Rotorua gets the first Crankworks of the World Tour, and it has now also twice hosted the first round of the Enduro World Series. It gets extra international exposure. We get a really big collection of, of those pro riders as well, bigger than most events in the world, including world championships. So we're getting this, this massive pot of, of top riders coming here who haven't been seen for months and uh, throwing down their big tricks or their uh, fast race runs uh, on, the, on the hills of, of Rotorua. It's pretty awesome.
Among mountain bikers, Rotorua is considered the country's mecca for riding. With the Whakarewerewa forest on the edge of the town, the jewel in the city's crown. Beautiful forest, beautiful trails. Oh, jump. Oh, another jump. Just built beautifully. So the Whakarewerewa forest has thousands of hectares of trail, ranging from the family rides, grade one, right through the, the hardcore grade six. There's a shuttle, two powder south, the shuttle's runs in operation. It takes you up to a, a high point from which you can take any number of trails, grade three to six. Rotorua's Deputy Mayor Dave Donaldson says between 2009 and 2013, visits to the trails at Whakarewerewa increased about 20% a year, and a 2016 survey found almost 60,000 visitors are coming to the city annually just to ride. He estimates mountain biking is worth upwards of $55 million to the local economy every year, and that's only set to increase. The evidence of that is that the airport company has installed mountain uh, bike assembly racks at the airport. More and more of the accommodation providers are gearing themselves towards catering for bike security and bike storage. And we also have the likes of the Bookabatch and Airbnb who report back to us that mountain biking is a key driver in the use of the facilities they manage. Queenstown too is raking in the dough from mountain biking. A report commissioned by the local mountain bike club found riders were spending $65 million a year in the town and the sport had generated almost 300 jobs. Nelson, another city which is booming in terms of mountain bike trail building and rider visits, also has strong support from its council for the sport. Dave Donaldson says Rotorua is an economy that relies heavily on visitors and the council's always been supportive of tourism. He says there's also been a number of influential mountain bikers and bike companies over the years that have convinced the council that the sport is an important part of the city's economic development strategy. The 2006 Mountain Bike World Champs was a clear demonstration um, that provided a $12 million economic benefit to, to the city and I think about a $30 million economic benefit to the country. So... You know, we fast forward now to Crankworks and you see that New Zealand major events through MBIE funding has got in behind that event because they see not only value to Rotorua but to New Zealand Inc. tourism. And, and I think the fact that as a mountain biker I managed to infiltrate my way onto council in 2007 and continue to have some influence. And, and I have to say that there are a couple of my colleagues who are quite passionate about mountain biking as well. You know, we travel for mountain biking. We see how important it is to other destinations around the world. And so our councillors largely agree and support the direction we've taken. Meanwhile, we join Cadell Evans coming through to start the final lap, getting a lot of support here from the New Zealand crowd. In 1997, Wellington hosted the Mountain Bike World Cup, a huge event for the city and a sport that was really starting to take off. But it hasn't hosted such a high-profile event again. Mountain biking advocate Simon Kennett says Wellington started off with a hiss and a roar, but the council lost steam when other regions were picking up speed. During the mid-90s, Wellington had a 
uh, an events capital strategy, and there was there was a good bit of money put into attracting events, and that included the Mount Vic World Cup race, and Wellington kind of considered itself to be the mountain bike capital back then. But after that, somehow the, the heat went off that policy, and we don't have the same number of big events. The interim chief executive of Wellington's economic development agency, Derek Fry, is unapologetic about not making mountain biking a central part of its tourism strategy. He says arts and culture are the main focus for the agency, along with IT and film, but he insists mountain biking is part of the package. We see this as a critical part of economic growth, primarily related to, to, to talent attraction. So we know from our work that upwardly mobile, highly specialised people are attracted to those sort of sports, and that CBD relationship with mountain bike trails is really important. It's interesting, though, because when people come to New Zealand to mountain bike, they pretty much go Rotorua down to Queenstown, maybe via Nelson, and they all pass through Wellington, but they don't know that it's a mountain biking destination. Do you think perhaps we're missing something? We may well be. I mean, we do quite a lot of promotion on our website, so people will know that there are opportunities there. Yeah, it's a question of which you know which horses do you back here in terms of what is their differentiator as a city. We know how how developed. Rotorua is. We know how well developed some of the trails further south are. So we don't want to get into a competitive environment. We want to we want to bring a uniqueness to it. Uh, and as I say, that economic lever using talent, visitor attraction is pretty important to us. The other aspect of the biking boom that has to be balanced is the potential for user conflict on the trails, where walkers and riders sometimes disagree over access or right of way. Jeff Carter from South Star Trails says the solution is straightforward, but some land managers take a bit of convincing. He says multi-use trails work well if the traffic is going at a similar speed and in the same direction. Once you start getting traffic, two-directional traffic at different speeds, then you open up areas of conflict. People get surprised, especially runners if they've got their headphones in dogs, you know, that sort of thing. And so uh, what we're seeing a lot more of is shared uphill tracks and then purpose-built downhill tracks for mountain biking. And so, As well as more scope for conflict, the mountain bike boom has also led to a jump in injuries. Accident compensation figures provided to RNZ for this documentary show the number of ACC claims for mountain biking has doubled since 2011, with claims to the end of 2016 totalling 7,564, costing the taxpayer almost $15 million. And the age group bashing themselves up the most are the 35 to 44-year-olds, but they're certainly not being put off. Jeff Carter says mountain bikers can be almost evangelical about the sport and convincing others to get involved. He says that enthusiasm is hugely contagious and more and more people are flocking to the sport. But he says there's also a corporate team-building scene as well. Those 12- and 24-hour events, you know, I was doing those 10 years ago and I don't do them much anymore, but now you look at the people doing them and there's, there's all sorts of corporate teams and business teams being entered. And so, you know, there might be two or three people in the office that ride and then they're bringing in the other people that don't ride and then those people all of a sudden they're into the sport. And so those sort of events, I think, are really helping to, to get people into it. It's true that mountain biking is now attractive to the upwardly mobile and groups of chief executives do go out riding when in the past they may have talked business on the golf course. So is mountain biking the new golf? Many agree it is. While there is the potential for people to spend upwards of $10,000 on a bike and strap it to a Maserati, the beauty of mountain biking is that anyone can get on a bike and ride into the forest.
I'm Chris Bramwell and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radioNZ.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, you can head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash insight. Or you can listen, subscribe, or even give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. No.